our King. Come, let us bow at His feet. He has done great things. Amen. See what our Savior has done. See how His love overcomes. He has done great things. He has done great things. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquered the grave. You free every captive and break every chain, oh God. You have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awake and alive. Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high, oh God, you have done great things. You've been faithful through every storm, you'll be faithful forevermore, you have done great I know you will do it again, for your promise is yes and amen. You will do great things. God, you do great things. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquered the grave. You free every captive and break every chain.
great things. All things have passed away. Your love has stayed the same. Your constant grace remains the cornerstone. Things that we thought were dead. Are breathing in life again. You cause your sun to shine on darkest night. For all that you've done, we will pour out our love. This will be our anthem song. Crossing it out. Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the one our hearts adore. The hopeless. The hopeless have found Our 
Jesus, we love you. Come on, sing it out to him. Oh, how we love you. You are the one. Our hearts adore. Amen, God. You are the one. Hearts adore. We praise you this morning. We just lift you high. Just open our eyes to who you are, to your majesty, sitting on the throne. Just move your spirit among us. Thousand angels surround your throne to give you praise that will never cease. But hallelujah from here below is what we humbly bring to thee.
Every knee bows before your name But we will not wait until it does For here and now shall your kingdom reign We sing hallelujah, hallelujah
issues of the month, uh, the persecuted church. And we just want to read a scripture. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to the hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So those of you who know a little scripture, you probably know that that's from 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. And it's often read at weddings, but um, if you read the whole of 1 Corinthians, that's not quite what Paul had in mind. Actually, what he had in mind was the relationship between brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, as I'm up here to talk about, and the video will show our brothers and sisters in Christ are being persecuted overseas. They're being thrown into prison. Uh, their businesses are being taken away. Sometimes they're kidnapped um, or, or even killed. So uh, think of them as your brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, and I would beg you to pray for them. Uh, that's the one thing they ask for consistently is our prayers. There are some uh, little pieces of paper on the tables as you go out a paragraph for, for different countries to pray for. Um, if you could take no more than two per family, that would be great. Um, thank you. Uh, and those are for praying at home. So we decided that would be better than trying to pray together due to the COVID situation. Okay, go ahead and start the video. This year, my country was again ranked as one of the five most dangerous places in the world to be a Christian. But I don't need to see the report because I have seen the tears, the blood, and suffering of my people. One day I asked God, why my Christian families and their children are suffering? Why he did not do anything for them, for their liberty, for their dignity, for their rights, and even for their protection. And you know, God took me to Exodus chapter 3. Moses saw a bush burning in the wilderness. When Moses approached the bush, God said, Many apne logon ki jo misar mein hai muzallat dekhi. Aur unki fariyad jo aamilon ke sabab se hai suni. اور چونکہ میں نے ان کے دکھ کو معلوم کیا میں اترا ہوں کہ انہیں مسلموں کے ہاتھ سے چھڑاؤں And God said, I am sending you 
Like Moses, I questioned, who am I? I'm just a huge Muslim. And Pakistan is a dangerous place. I came for my persecuted family because I am a servant of the Most High and I believe God is with me. Pray for your Christian brothers and sisters who are serving the persecuted families and pray that you will be inspired by their courage and their faithfulness to be obedient to God's call and serve the hurting around you. Thank you, Frank, for sharing those words for the persecuted church. It's a hard to imagine going through what they go through on a daily basis as we sit in our comfortable church in our comfortable country with the freedoms that we have around us. So uh, be vigilant in your prayers because when they hurt, we hurt. Uh, when they rejoice, we rejoice. Uh, and that's the way the family of God works. Uh, so welcome. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad uh, to be here with you. It's been a great Sunday of experiencing the presence of God, and that's the hope. Uh, with what we do on Sunday morning, experience God's presence. As always, we try to do that three ways. We do that with worship, singing songs, singing together, raising our voices together. Uh, we do that with prayer, and we do that with the studying of God's Word. And, and every Sunday, I pray before you come that we would experience the presence of God. Uh, and, and, and we are this morning, and it's a wonderful morning. So uh, welcome if you're joining us online. Uh, glad you're here with us. Um, if you don't mind, let me open us in prayer as we begin our service. Lord Jesus, thank you uh, for what you've given us. Uh, God, thank you for the faith that you've instilled in us. Thank you for the love and the forgiveness and the mercy that you have extended to us. And God, watching that video and, and uh, remembering our brothers and sisters across the world that are hurting, uh, Lord, we ask for your protection and your peace and your comfort as they go through what you've ordained them to, to go through. Lord, I ask that this morning that you would meet us, that you would stir in our hearts now, that we would experience your presence, that the stress and the anxiety and the fear and the frustration would fall off us as we join in experiencing your presence together. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for these brothers and sisters and their faithfulness. Uh, we love you, God. Speak to us now. In your name, amen. We've been going through the series, I Love Church, or I Heart Church, if you, depending on how you pronounce the heart symbol, I pronounce it love. I Love Church. And, and this series has been fun so far. We started last week, uh, and then we have this Sunday, and then we have next Sunday. And last Sunday, I was pretty shameful in my sales pitch to you. The reason that I am teaching this series is for you to love your church more and for you to join your church on uh, in partnership on mission. And, and Sunday after this one, so uh, a week from tonight at 6.30, we will be gathering back in this room, and we are going to be having a conversation about what it means to be a partner of Grace Chapel, what it means to be a member, to use an older word, what it means to join in with us on mission as we experience what God has for us, His will for the future of our church. 
There's no commitment. When you show up, we're not like taking your names or, or scanning your eyelid or, or your fingerprint or something to know that you are here. It's just a conversation so that you can know more about what it means to partner. Maybe you've been a member of Grace Chapel for years and you're like, hey, w- what does that mean again? Like I've, I've kind of just been attending. What, am I supposed to be doing something different or what's supposed to happen? If you want a, a crash course and what it means, or if you're just curious because you're new to the church and you've been coming for a couple months and you want to know more about how to plug in. My hope is that every one of you in this room and online would show up. I hope that this conversation is big and in-depth and that we all get a lot out of what it means to partner with this church. The reason I'm so forceful with this is it's because I'm convinced what I see in Scripture and what I see in the world around us that this is what God wants. When we commit to do something in the name of the Lord, God blesses us. Sometimes he blesses us with persecution, as we saw. Sometimes he blesses us with numbers, sometimes. Sometimes he blesses us with challenges. But he blesses us when we commit to be on mission for him. It's been a great series so far. Last week, we talked about my family past, my familial past. Big family, big table, lots of food, dogs fighting underneath as we yell, shout, scream, laugh, and cry over dinner. That's the family of, my family of origin. And, and I compared it to our spiritual family of origin. You have a spiritual family of origin. Somewhere along the line, somebody told you about God. Whether you accepted it or not, they came from a church probably not much different than Grace Chapel. We all have these stories. And it actually helps us understand how diverse and powerful the local church is. I want to read you a quote. This is uh, William Temple. He was an archbishop. Uh, And he says this, The church is the only cooperative society that exists for the benefit of its non-members. Think about that for a minute. The church exists for the benefit of its non-members. And it always has stood for that. To think about it another way, The church lives and dies by a certain set of rules. And those rules are very, very different than the rules that are out there. The world operates under a certain pretense, under a certain set of social guidelines. And those rules do not apply in here. What I mean by this is this. How big is your house? How much money you make? How much is in your savings account? How many times do you go on vacation? Those things matter outside. Here's a big one. What you've done, how you've acted, the choices that you've made in your past, out there define you. They define who you are. They define your value and your worth. They define your ability to control your future. But those rules do not apply in here. In God's church, in his bride, your past, even your present and your future choices do not bear on your value. They do not affect your worth because your value and your worth is set by God. And he has said, you're valuable enough for me to die for you. Those rules out there don't apply in here. How much money you make, how little money you make, all the niceties and comforts of life that we go after, that we chase, those don't apply in here. 
The prerequisite, we've said this for several weeks, the prerequisite to be loved in this church is a heartbeat. And if you no longer have a heartbeat, we will probably miss you and love you anyway. Your past, your experience, your, your resume, your family, how many times you've been divorced, if you're going through a divorce now, if you might go through a divorce in the future, that does not determine your value. It does not determine your worth. We live by a different set of standards in here. It's, it's actually a lot like the U.S. Embassy. If you're in a third world country and someone thinks that you have committed a crime, generally the rule is you are guilty until proven innocent and you better start running. And so many times American citizens will run straight into the American embassy in that country. And suddenly they, the American embassy, the rules of the United States apply to that embassy. Once you are on the embassy grounds, the Marines that are, that are stationed there to protect the embassy will protect you. And suddenly the rules change, literally as you cross the line. Now you are innocent until proven guilty. Now you have a right to a free trial. A fair, sorry, a fair trial. These rules don't apply out there because the U.S. Embassy represents the country that you are from, not the country that you are in. We are in the world, but we are not from the world. We operate by a different set of standards. And just like the quote, we exist to help those out there. And we're the only organization that does. We exist for those out there. The interesting thing is when we love the people out there, we actually are loving the people in here better. <laughs> so it works both ways. The rules of the world do not apply in here. We have a different set of standards. I want to read to you a passage that is, I think, profound in this context. This is a letter written to the church in Colossae. It is Paul's letter. It's the Colossian letter. And I want to look at chapter 3, starting in verse 12. Paul is writing to this church, and this is what he says. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. These are not the rules that you will find out there. Maybe in some twisted form you might find something like that out there. But in here, these are the rules of the family. If you want to be a part of the family, these are the rules that you operate by, and these are the blessings that you will receive. You must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Oh, this one kind of nice. After you've sprinted across the boundary, and the doors of the church close behind you, this is what you should receive. Verse 13, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. That's a tough one. That's a tough rule. So in here, one of the rules that we live by is forgiveness. And there's a very specific reason why we live by forgiveness. So make an allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. We're starting to get down into the truth now. Now we're starting to get down into the real rules, the nitty-gritty that make this place go around. It's this idea that you were adopted. You, were, you did not deserve your adoption papers. 
But our adopted father looked down on each one of us and said, you do not deserve what I'm about to do. But I'm going to sign these adoption papers in my blood so that you can be a part of the family. And once you get in here, you have to operate under that rule. You have to operate under the rule that you are forgiven, so you must forgive. You know, forgiveness is not that difficult if everyone is exactly like you, right? If everybody was the same category, the same stuff, the same struggles, the same uh, sin, the same strengths, the same personality traits, it wouldn't be that hard to forgive. But that's not the way the church is. And there's a really good reason why. So remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. 14, above all, clothe yourselves with love. This is our single a greatest motivator is love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And if we just stop there and just say, wait, wait, why does love bind us together in perfect harmony? Because the world loves love. In fact, we sing songs about love and we have parties about love and we have all these things out there in the world about love. So what makes that love different than the love in here? That sounds like a similar rule, right? It's actually not. The reason why love unites us the reason why love binds us together in perfect harmony is it's because that's the love that sought you in the darkness, found you, and brought you into the family. This love, if we agree on nothing else, is the love that Jesus had for you and for me when he died on the cross. When he forgave us, when he became an atoning sacrifice for us, this love is the thing that unites us. If you're sitting across from a brother or sister and you are fuming mad at them and you disagree with virtually everything they say or do or how they act, you can remember this. They are loved with the same love that I am loved. They deserve it as, as little as I deserve it. We're on the same page. This is the thing that binds us. This is the gospel. The gospel is what unites us. That's why we're covered in love. Above all, clothe yourselves in love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. 15. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. As members of one body, you are called to live in peace. That sounds refreshing. Especially if you've just walked in from outside. That word peace just hangs in the air. It's this wonderful thing. Peace. This peace. We get to live by. We get to live in. And he ends that little section with the phrase, and always be thankful. What's Paul driving at here? These are the rules that the ecclesia, the gathering, the church, is to operate under. We don't operate under their rules. We operate under these rules that Paul just laid out. We're to be forgiving. We're to be loving. We're to be humble. We're to be gentle. We're to bear with each other. I like that term because that means like your stuff gets all over me. And I got to go, oh man, but, but my stuff gets all over you. And we, we bear with each other and we go, you know, this is not perfect. And I'm trying to love you, but you really make me angry with what you say about me or whatever. And we have these disagreements. But we're stuck together. One author puts it, we're a sticky church. You can't pull us apart because this thing that bonds us 
is so much greater than me, and it's so much greater than you. It's the gospel. It's beautiful. It's powerful. We have this rule, these rules that we are to live by, that we are to operate under. The bad news is that the rules out there sometimes filter in. They bleed in. They seep in through the cracks. And those rules start to look like judginess, like harshness, like gossip. Like, like it, it, it gets in our, our DNA of our church, and it, and it starts to hurt people. People hold grudges. People get frustrated. I said this about him, and he says this about me, and uh, we get at each other's throats. And then finally, I'm out. I can't do it anymore. This church has too many problems. I'm out of here. Right? That's the world's standards and the world's rules seeping in. But if you look at Paul's list, it's this sticky list. It's like this stuff that bonds us together. But if you are not applying the gospel lens, when you look at this list, you go, how in the world can I forgive people that are so mean? (laughs) When they're saying the same thing about you. The list looks daunting. It looks like this huge hurdle. Like, how do we get past this? How do I live this way? I can't live this way. I'm, I'm at my, my family's throats, let alone my spiritual family. So how? If these are the rules that we are to live by, and they're attractive, right? Don't you want to feel that peace and, and have mercy extended to you and have grace extended to you and have this love wrap us up like a, like a warm robe, right? That sounds wonderful. How do we live to that standard? What's the trick? What's the secret? What's the formula to live in this way? Because if we get that wrong, this is what happens. And it might sound familiar. Oh, yes, I love my church and I love everything about it. And I love the people there and they're wonderful. And, and then on the way home after church, you're going, I cannot believe these people are insane. Right? You can't, you can't do it like you try. One of the biggest misconceptions alive and thriving in our American churches, or at least our Western churches, is that you have to follow this list by pulling you up by your bootstraps, muscling up, and just forcing it. I'm just going to grit my teeth, and I'm just going to pretend she didn't say that about me, and I'm just going to focus on my little area. And meanwhile, frustration and anger boiling inside of you. You know what that forces us to do? It forces us to be fake, right? So suddenly we show up at Sunday morning and we are so not transparent. We have so many barriers put up. We're like, oh, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, everything's fine, it's fine. Just leave me alone. Don't say anything too personal because I'm going to get upset or you're going to get upset and we're going to be all fake, right? That's what happens when you try to live by this standard without the most important ingredient. So what is the most important ingredient? Romans. Paul's writing another letter. He basically wrote most of the New Testament. He wrote another letter to the church in Rome. This is like the the modern email of the day. Chapter 12, Paul writes this in verse 3. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Paul sets this up. I'm going to give you a warning, guys, so just hang on. Buckle your seatbelts. This is going to be a rough one. But listen, this is the most important thing that I can say, at least in this section. Listen to this. 
don't build your steeples too tall. No. <laughs> I guess kind of. You know, make sure to paint all your church walls white. No. Don't think of yourself more important than you really are. Now, why would he say that? Why would he say, big warning, guys, watch out for this. Don't think of yourself more important than you really are. It's because it's the most common thing that we do once we enter the kingdom. We go, wow, God saved me. Isn't that great? Well, it's actually, I mean, I work really hard at this. I mean, I I come to church every Sunday, and I see a lot of my brother, brothers, and sisters don't do that. And I don't gossip at all, but man, do I hear the gossip train going. And that person says this about that, and I keep my mouth shut. And I give faithfully, and I, and I, and I, and I, and you get so focused on yourself that it doesn't feel like you're doing anything except this traditional hobby that you're working on. careful. Remember where you came from. (laughs) Remember your family of origin. Where did you come from? You came from the same place I came from. You came from sin. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. This is our heritage. This is where we grew up. And God radically, in a moment, rescued us from that, that family of origin. He rescued us from that family tradition, that heritage, the rules out there. He ripped us out of that scenario and put us in a church and said, Here, you need to be loved and you need to love. But if you don't forget where you came from, you will, it's a very slippery slope, start to think you're a little better. So Paul says, Be careful. Don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given you. So out there we have a couple of of measuring sticks. How much money you make, your career, your resume, your family. How orderly is your family in public? That's a big one, right? How well your grass looks after you cut it. Please don't come over to my house anytime soon if that's something you're going to measure me by. Horrible lawn. I don't know what happened. It was like one year and it's blown up. There's these different rubrics or measuring sticks out there. Well, in here, we have a measuring stick. We do. We can measure ourselves by the faith God has given us. And he says it right here. He says, listen, measure yourself by the faith God has given you. So this is your ability to trust God. Whether you're a billionaire or whether you live on food stamps, you have the ability to trust God. And that is how you're to measure yourself. You know, one of the ways that God gives us more faith is he makes life really difficult. So in this upside-down kingdom kind of way, the trials that you're faced with can produce this thing called faith. The thing that we use to measure our value. So God's given me this thing. How well am I using it? That's a measuring stick. So judge yourselves based on the faith. Not the knowledge of Scripture, not how many times you go to Bible study, not how many life groups you've had, no matter how many times you come to church, how much you tithe, how much you don't tithe, whatever those things are, that's not what he's talking about. How well can you trust God? And you might say, well, you know, those people that are so much more wealthy than me, they don't have to trust God. They've got it all taken care of. Actually, it's the opposite. The more that you have, the more is required of you. 
and rich people have a hard time trusting God just like poor people. Makes no difference. Paul is saying, listen, measure yourself by how well you trust God. And, and by the way, God gives you this stuff called faith. How much has he given to you? Do you want more of it? Be careful if you pray for faith. Things can get rocky. Verse 4, just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. So we are many parts, but one body, and we all belong to each other. Focus on the last phrase. We belong to each other. You belong to me. And that might make you uncomfortable, but here comes the next part. I belong to you. We are one. We are united under the gospel. And that's the thing that keeps us connected. In his grace, verse 6, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is encouraging others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership, the leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. This is where we start to get the diversity of the church. Now, the diversity is important. It's so important. I'm actually going to flip to that quote. Can I do that, Ryan? Philip Yancey says this, Unity does not mean uniformity. (laughs) Unity does not mean uniformity. So just because we are united under the gospel does not mean we all look the same. It does not mean we all come from the same place. It does not mean we all make the same amount of money. It doesn't mean we have the same past or even the same future. It doesn't mean we've all made the same choices. So we should stop acting like it, right? Unity does not mean uniformity. Diversity does not mean division. Those are two very deep statements. You're getting the strength of the church is in its ability to unite in the gospel. And the more diverse we are, the stronger we are. Because the world sees this group of people that has no business, according to the outside rules, of spending time together. Why do they hang out together? Why do they seem to love each other no matter how mean they are to each other? They always love each other. They always respond with forgiveness. They're always graceful and and showing mercy to each other. Why do they do that? They're nothing alike. Because of the gospel. You see, the gospel is the thing that unites us and gives us our strength. That's our unity. And the more diverse we are, by the world standards, the more divided we should be. But that's not God's standard. And that's not a rule of our family. Now I want to jump back in, Ryan, if I can, to verse 9. Paul goes on, don't just to pretend to love others. I love how he just calls it out. Don't, I, I know, I know. I know it's so much easier to say that you love everybody and to come in on Sunday morning and give some high fives as long as COVID's not around. And, and, and you say some nice things and you ask people how their lives are and all these things and it's okay, you know. But let's be honest. What's the conversation on the way home from church? What's the conversation when you hear somebody and what they said about you or something really personal? How do you respond then? Paul's saying, listen, I know it's easy to pretend to love, just like it's easy to think that you're better than you really are. But don't do that. Don't just to pretend to love others. Really love them. Hey, what's wrong? 
Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. Love that phrase. Take delight in honoring each other. I'm going to brag to you about how so-and-so is honoring so-and-so. What an awesome thing. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. These, this is what happens when we apply the rules of our family to us and to those out there. Suddenly, that list that Paul gave to the church in Colossae is not, not obtainable. It just it, it ends up being easy. If we live by the rule, the one rule that binds us, boy, that sounds like a Lord of the Rings quote. It's not. <laughs> so how do we do it? How do we not slip into superiority? How do we not slip into fakeness? It is exhausting to love people, especially when you have a diverse group. Because there's unique troubles in every group. There's unique struggles in every person. How do you do it? Let me steal an author of a book, that's a name of a book that's a really good book. You should read it. It's Practicing the Presence of God. You see, God has these qualities. And he doesn't, like, wrap them up in, like, Amazon box and ship them out to us. Here, have some grace. Here, have some mercy. Here, have some forgiveness. That's not the way that he operates. He has these things. They are in Him. And if you want peace, if you want to be able to extend mercy to the brother or sister that's hurt you, if you want love to bind us, we get that from Him. We get that from His presence. This is why I can't stop talking about experiencing God's presence on Sunday morning. I I don't want to stop talking about it because this is the source. This is the gospel. This is what it means. This is how we're sticky. This is how we don't give up on each other. This is how we're merciful to each other. As we practice God's presence. Every time I get riled up, I get frustrated with either somebody in here or somebody out there. I want to use the world's rules. I want to apply the world's rule. You know what? I'm done. You've mouthed off to me for the last time. You've stood me up for the last time. You've talked trash about me behind my back for the last time. We are through. And then I go, wait a minute. That sounds, that sounds a lot like the, <laughs> the world's rules. Everybody I know that isn't a part of a church operates that way. Isn't there, isn't there a different way? Isn't there a, a different rule I'm supposed to be living by? Something about forgiveness? Ah, that's it. See, I am a wretched sinner, just like everybody else, and God extended forgiveness to me. So that means that if I use God's forgiveness and let it flow through me, I should be able to offer that forgiveness to my brother. There's something there. That forgiveness flows through us. It doesn't mean that those wounds just immediately go away and are instantly here. No, it takes work. It takes dialogue. And there's actually passages in Scripture that show us how to do that. I don't want to live 
by the world's standards. I don't want to live by those rules. I want to live by the kingdom's embassy. We are in the kingdom of God's embassy right now. And we operate under a different set of standards and a different set of rules. And that's the way that it should be. And if you find it hard, if you find the rules that are applied here difficult to live by, then practice some of God's presence. Spend time with God. Work through the Lord's Prayer with God. Sometimes, sometimes I don't even know what to say. I'm either so bothered or frustrated or, or, or fearful for the future. And I just sit and I just say, God, can I just be with you? I just, I don't know what to say. And I don't know if you're going to even say anything to me back. But I just want to be with you. And I'm reminded in Psalm 43, David's words. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. That's what I look for. That's what I want here. That's the rule that I want to apply to us. If we long for God's presence together, forgiveness becomes easy. It's not that it's pain-free, but it becomes easy. Mercy becomes easy. This is why Jesus can say, listen, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. It's like saying, listen, if you know what's wrong with the guy who's making you upset, it's the same thing that's wrong with you. It's like two cancer patients looking at each other going, I know what's wrong with you, and it's the same thing that's wrong with me. Then we can just forgive each other and get past this. I know why you're feeling how you're feeling, and I know why you're lashing out to me. And it's the same reason that I want to lash back. But we don't operate by that standard. We don't operate by that rule. That's the world's rule. We operate with a different set of standards. I love my church because we operate by a different set of standards. And I'm going to be the first one to say we don't always practice this. We don't even always practice it well. Sometimes the world's standards seep in. I hear stories about somebody hurting somebody or a new person not being welcomed or, or how it all works. And I just go, oh, man, that's the world's standard. We've got to practice God's presence some more. We've got to go back to the source. We've got to go back to the spring. Drink from some of that water. That is the secret. And as you go through a dry period, it becomes harder and harder operate under the standard of the world. And there's this tricky little lie that Satan tells us. And it's usually after a dry period, and we haven't spent a lot of time with our Father, and, and we're a little unsure, and we're a little frustrated, and we're a little hurt. And Satan goes, come on, who can live under the standard? Who can live up to the standards that we see in Colossians? No one can do that. And I imagine Jesus sitting there going, yeah, you know, he's got a point, except you know the only person that can. And if you let me, I'll do it for you. And that destroys the argument of the enemy. I love my church. And I love the rules that we live by. And I know sometimes I don't live by these standards either. Sometimes I go through dry spells. And when that happens, please, Extend God's mercy to me. Because I need it. And I don't deserve it. Neither do you. And that's the beauty of the diversity and unity working together under the banner of the gospel. I love my church. And if you are not a 
partner, if you are not a member of this church, I sure hope that you decide to become one soon. Because if you think about the diversity factor, you need to. If you have the spiritual gift of prophecy, if you have the spiritual gift of teaching or of preaching or of uh, administration or, or, or of hospitality, we need that so bad in this church. And if you're new and you've been coming for a couple weeks, you're like, man, these people are not very hospitable. It's because you are hospitable and we need you here. <laughs> and we try. We try to do those things. But we need this church more diverse. We need this church more united. And I sure hope you step in and fill the spot that God has called you to fill in order for this church, Grace Chapel, to keep moving forward into the future, into God's gifts, as he, as he extends his peace and his grace and his forgiveness to us. I love my church, and I hope you do too. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, God, you are so good. You have extended so much mercy and grace. And Lord, you're even good and kind in the way that you remind me that I have come from a family of sin. <laughs> My family of origin is, is of death and of destruction and of this world. But you pulled me out of that. You died for me. You were the atoning sacrifice so that I could start living real eternal life now. You are so good, and you have forgiven me. And God, I know that not even by my strength can I extend that forgiveness to others. So I ask that you would allow that forgiveness to flow through us to each other. And that every person that walks through those doors would feel your love, would feel your forgiveness, your mercy, your grace. And they would start to operate under your standards, under your rules. Because it's your banner, Lord, that we fly in this place. It's your love we proclaim. It's your grace that we extend. And the only way we do that, Lord, is by practicing your presence. So, Lord, I ask that you would move in us now. That you would stir our hearts. That you would remind us of how beloved we are. And that we as a church could in turn, turn and use that love. I love this church, and I know you love this church. Help us to experience the peace that you extend. We love you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Amen. Let's stand. I've searched I've searched the world But it couldn't fail me And man's empty praise And treasures of fame Are never enough And you came along And put me back together And every desire is now satisfied 
it's time for the benediction that I was going to uh, do a survey this morning. How many of you believe in coincidence? Because as uh, Josh uh, put his uh, readings up on the screen this morning, you know, I don't know how many pages are in the Bible. Somebody knows more about it than I do. But um, Josh, I, I, I'm working on a benediction. I've got, I'm on the same page, exactly the same page as you are. When you, you posted up there, Colossians 3, uh, 12 to 14, when I was looking through my Bible, finding the appropriate uh, benediction this morning, I landed on Colossians 3, 15 to 17. You covered one of those verses. Uh, a lot of excitement here this morning. A lot of, and, and thank you, thank you to the uh, worship team. And thank you to Josh. I was here this morning at 7.30 trying to sneak some extra chairs in here because they keep filling up and we keep moving forward. And we did it, and Josh was in the back practicing. Um, Josh, thank you for the energy you bring to our message. We need to hear this. And we also need to hear that not only that we forgive people, but we praise them. So I praise you. Please join me in praising God for the hard work you put in. So the words from Paul to Colossians. Let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. You, you use those words. Since as members of one body we are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's go out and celebrate the presence of God in our lives this week. Thank you very much.